Thank you, Chris. I wonder if uh, you've ever left home for college. Anybody ever done that? Yeah, there's a few of you here. Left home for college. Perhaps you've uh, packed your bags and um, got everything ready and uh, you've not known what was lying ahead, but you knew that the hope of getting a diploma or a degree or you know, getting your HSC or VCE, you, that this would be the reward at the end. And maybe you've kissed your mum and dad goodbye or uh, you've got on the train or on the car, in the car and you've gone off to this next adventure with big hopes in your hearts and ready to do what you feel uh, you, you, you need to do to prepare for the life that you have ahead. Uh, I wonder if you've ever found uh, that what you thought prepared you for that was not what it actually was. Now, I can remember uh, getting so excited when I was going to Bible college, I packed up the car and I got the wheelie bin out and I got a self-timer on and I put a big sign saying, I'm going to Bible college. A bit daggy, no one else was home to say goodbye. And I took a photo of myself here and I couldn't find it for tonight to scan it to you. But I remember being excited as I left to Bible college, thinking this is the kind of thing that's going to prepare me to be what God's called me to be in life. And I remember um, thinking, this is exciting. This is going to be good. I remember choosing a kind of college that would be one that would, I'd have to live on and have to be shaped and do duties and kind of get to know about community as well as the Bible and all those kind of things. And I'll never forget failing the whole of the first, half of the first year completely and thinking, wow, God, this is not what I thought you'd called me to learn. Um, I remember having to pick up my dreams and start all over again. And I wonder if you've ever been in that situation where you felt so strong about what God was calling you to do. Maybe it has been a degree or a diploma. Maybe it's been a new job that was starting out and you thought that what you were doing were the things that would just take you there and God was going to take you there. It was going to be no problem and yet you found yourself somewhere where you thought you would never end up. Exodus 3 just brings us to a situation just like that. If you have it, you might like to just turn to it. Exodus 3 is like that because instead of going to leadership school, uh, Moses, where he ends up in these uh, incredible places of, of learning where he's equipped and ready to take on the world, he finds himself in doing a degree in the desert places. And God's wanting to teach him lessons that are to be learnt in desert places, in places far away from where he would have expected to be. This is what it says. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. 
Now, here's Moses attending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, far away from the incredible place of Egypt where he was recognised, where he was known, where he had so many great connections. And he's not just in the desert. He's on the far side of the desert, right out in the middle of nowhere, at the back of Burke, we would say. And he's looking after a flock, a flock of sheep. That's his responsibility, right out in the far places away from anyone else. And he's looking, he's in the desert, a place where God was going to speak to him. I wonder if you've ever been in the desert. I am... I mean, really out in the desert, right? like right out in the middle of nowhere. Some of you have, perhaps. Some of you pig shooters, maybe, have been out there. I remember when I was in my early 20s and I went to America and travelled from Las Vegas up to San Francisco and we had to go through Nevada and some of the desert places there in a hire car. And I remember at one time um, we, we took some, we had some drinks and that and I put it down the wrong way, and so I vomited in the car. Like it was, um, you know, just like a Coke and put it down the wrong way, and there we are in this stinking hot car in the middle of the desert with vomit. <laughs> and so it got so bad, we pulled over and we had to try and get, you know, it out of the car and clean up and everything. But I remember at that time there were just little bugs all around and there was like little lizards and things, you know, that were around. I remember at one stage just looking out into the desert, you know, like the road was behind me. I remember looking out and just thinking, wow, it's lonely out there. I remember thinking, wow, wouldn't it be scary if the road wasn't just behind me? Wow, I wonder how long you'd survive out here with no one around. You would have got quick, uh, thirsty quickly, I reckon. It would have been a lonely place there in the desert, in Nevada. I think Moses must have known what it was like to feel those feelings. Do you know how long Moses was in the desert places? A couple of weeks? 40 Years. You know how old I am? I'm 38. I'm two years away the time that Moses spent in desert places. I mean, he would have been thirsty constantly. He would have had to often have wind blowing around and uh, had to sort of shut his eyes so that the sand didn't get right into his face. He would have known oftentimes being at the, you know, the far side of the desert where he wouldn't have seen people for days and days and days and days. It would have been very lonely for Moses. It's a far cry from all the things that he had learnt and been accustomed to in the first 40 years of his life in Egypt. You see... He would have had everybody waiting on him, on him hands and foot. He would have had everything available to him. But in this, he learnt to be content with little. 
no luxuries, no bells and whistles. Uh, you know, um, he would have had to learn what it was like to live with lack of praise or lack of recognition. And do you know, uh, back in Egypt, when he walked in to a room and started talking, people would have hung on every word. Conversation would have stopped just to hear what Moses was going to say. Uh, when he was, when he was uh, walking into a room, people would have stood up to greet him out of honour because of who he was and his dignity, his importance as a person. He was knowledgeable. He was schooled. He would have all known all about ancient writing. He would have known about science. He would have known about so many different things. You know what? Sheep don't care about that at all. Oh, they don't care. You know, with sheep, you can uh, sing a song to them. You can sort of do handstands and backflips. You can, you know, you can do incredible dances. And, and sheep just don't even acknowledge you. I've tried it. <laughs> I, was, I was going down the, the Hume, uh, the, the Murray River not long ago in a canoe, and there were all these uh, sheep and uh, things on the side, and I'd just say, G'day, guys, and they don't even respond. They don't even look. So Moses has gone from this incredible time where everybody honoured him to looking after a bunch of sheep in the middle of nowhere. Talk about having to learn to deal with things that don't give you praise or honour you or think you're great. Do you think he was going to draw on these skills later on when he led the children of Israel through the wilderness. Hmm. He was learning lessons in desert places that would become very valuable for what God was going to call him to when there were people that were murmuring, complaining and not being people that would give him honour or thanks. You know, I think he would have learnt too about loneliness, um, as a leader, often people face times of loneliness where they have to make decisions that are unpopular. And, and many times you would know that in your different times when you've been leading things. And sometimes you can feel a little bit alone with overwhelming responsibilities in your role. And Moses would have sat, stood many times looking out into the wilderness into the desert places, but without a highway behind him, without a hire car to get into. Nothing on this side but miles and miles of desert places. In those times, I think he would have learnt that the God who he had known was, was with him. He would have been able to do lots of thinking, lots of learning about what it is to, to trust in God in desert places. I want to ask you, are you in the school of desert places at the moment? Perhaps you're away from your home church. Perhaps this year you've come to Albury-Wodonga and you find yourself in the Wodonga District Baptist Church and yet back at your home church before you came to study, perhaps everyone knew you. Perhaps you were in ministry in all different places and people just knew you and you were popular and you had lots of friends and now you find yourself here with 
so much study to do, so many challenges in trying to just get everything done that you feel like this is a bit like a desert place compared to what it was like before. Perhaps you've left the support and the care of your family or perhaps you're struggling now financially as a student in studies and, and you're having to pay for books and you're buying books and paying uni fees and you're trying to get food and you're trying to find time to study and you feel like all the pressures here are kind of like not what you thought they would be when you began doing this. Perhaps you now f- feel completely different to what you might have felt years ago. Maybe you thought that you were going to be a pastor. Or maybe you thought that God was calling you to be a missionary. And when you hear stories you know, from Gary and Eva, or maybe you think, oh God, I wished I could have done that. But now I feel like I'm in a desert place. Maybe that dream of being a full-time ministry is, is gone. Or maybe you wish you could be a manager and now you're just thinking, I've failed so many times. I've been given the sack from this place or I've been put off from here or this job didn't work out and now I feel like I'm just doing something that was completely not what I wanted to do. You know, maybe you're in the exact place to learn what it's like to live in desert places. Because Moses was like that. You know how old he was at this time? Acts tells us that he was 80 years old at this time. So if you're younger than 80 and uh, you've been, you feel like you've been in a desert place for a little while, you know, it's not all bad news from here. Sometimes the things that you're right in now, God's preparing you for, for what he wants to use you for in the future. Moses, someone has said, was a somebody in Egypt who became a nobody at the back far side of the desert before he could realise that God uses nobodies when they place their lives in his hands. Uh, He learnt so many lessons in desert places. I think the passage goes on and talks about here the call. This is what it would have been like when Moses was living. This is Mount Sinai today, the, or uh, Horeb. And uh, look at those rocky places, that arid land. That's what it would have been like for him in those times. Uh, really rough terrain. Now, the call comes to a leader and I think it comes quite ordinarily most of the time. Look what happens to uh, Moses here in verse 2. It says, There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. And Moses saw that the bush was on fire and it did not burn up. Now, look, I'm just taking a guess. A lot of people talk about this verse and they imagine that this was a massive fire coming and it was incredible and the heat was so far. You know, people have drawn pictures of this massive thing. But, you know, I I get the feeling that there were lots of little bushes around while Moses was out there in the desert places. And I reckon there would have been lots of these bushes that he saw. And I reckon there would have been probably some rare occasions where a bush 
might have got so hot that it started to, to burn. Maybe there was a lightning strike or sometimes you'd seen these. So I don't think this would have been the most incredible thing straight away. But in the bush, an angel of the Lord appeared and it appeared with flames, flames of fire. And the bush was on fire. And I think as Moses saw about this, it might have been just a kind of thing that he could have looked at and thought, well, isn't that strange and kept going. But in this ordinary day, in this ordinary event, God begins to get his attention. You know, this was probably his 14,600th day in the desert. There's no warning signs. God didn't say, I'm going to come and speak to you now. Get ready for this, Moses. He didn't, uh, you know, uh, there wasn't a big chariot that arrived and said, get ready, there's going to be God coming to you. But in the midst of his day, a burning bush didn't burn up. And this was God getting his attention. I suppose what I just want to ask you today is, are you noticing the ordinary ways in which God might be trying to get your attention. Because I see so many people that go through different experiences and it seems to me quite obvious that God is doing things to get their attention, but they just put it down to coincidence. Because most of these people are not seeing that God speaks through the ordinary days. He comes to us, most many people are waiting, if God would just bring up a big you know, massive fire, bonfire, and from the inside say, I'm calling you, you know. Then I'd go to Africa. Then I'd go, you know, to, to where he's calling me. But I think what, what, what happens here is this is a bush that's burning, but it's not burning up. And I think sometimes these happen to us all the time if we're just willing to say, God, is that you speaking to us over here? Is that you speaking to us? I wonder if there's things just in your day, in the day before, a couple of days ago where maybe things have God's been trying to get your attention as well. Well, Moses' response and the call shows that I think the call comes to those who are willing to listen. So what happens is Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. And so Moses, instead of just looking at it and saying, oh, that's a strange, interesting thing, I better keep going, I've got the sheep to keep moving on, I've got everything to keep doing. Instead of that, he stops and he goes over and he starts to say, oh, I'll go over and see what this strange sight is, why the bush isn't burning up. You know, I think in this fast-paced day uh, where we've got lots and lots of busy things on the go, where our to-do lists just seem to get longer and longer, when an unproductive day could mean that you feel lazy or when slowing down just to rest can be seen as a sign of weakness. We rarely slow down long enough for God to speak to us, to acknowledge the things that he might be wanting to talk to us about. You know, I think... Things have changed so much that we seem to be so fast-paced today that I think it's no wonder that many people rarely hear what God might be saying or sense him prompting them or speaking to them in the ordinary day-to-day life. 
Do you know my parents remember times when they used to turn on the TV and had to wait for it to warm up before they could watch it? You know, I, I mean, for me, I used to have to rewind audio tapes so that I can listen to the other side after listening to it. You know, I had to fast forward it and wait for all this time. And, you know, we never had these touch mobile phone things where you speed dial and hold it and it rings it for you. I had to ring every single number over and over again in order to do it. Unbelievable. And yet, you know what? I think sometimes the busyness and the quickness and the expecting things to happen now can mean that we don't take the time to really hear from God. I remember when God started speaking to me and I remember just sensing that he's trying to get my attention. It was an AMP. And I remember that I'd just been reading different books about the life of Christian authors. And I remember reading some and feeling a real passion and thinking, God, these men and women of God were incredible. God, what are you doing? I'm feeling this kind of amazing sense of desire to keep finding out about people's lives. And then I read a book from Tony Campolo called Everything You've Heard is Wrong, How to Be Successful in Business. I was trying to read a book that would help me be good at business in AMP insurance where I was. And the first story talked about this insurance guy that got up and he went to this, uh, Tony Campolo went to a sales conference and he was the last speaker of the day and all these insurance people were talking about how you could close the, da- the sale, get the customer to buy something that they really didn't need. And Tony Campolo got up and he said, everything you've heard today is wrong. And the directors were, you know, what's happening? And as I read the book, God started to speak to me. Because what Tony Campolo was saying, you don't need to sell things to people that they don't want to buy. You need to find a career that you can feel you can give yourself fully to because it matches people's needs, uses your God-given gifts and puts you in the place where you can do what he's created you to do with joy and integrity. So I started reading more and I'm saying, and so he asked some questions and he said, you know, what job is there that kind of, what kind of person do you want to be in 10 years' time? It was the first question he asked. If you could be whoever you wanted to be in 10 years' time, what would you want to be? Well, God had already been putting on my heart a passion to become someone who was like these godly people. And then the second question was, well, what job matches that? And I just had answered the first question, I want to be sold out for Jesus in every way. Well, what job matches it for me? It was being a pastor. Um, I was crazy about that. I was thinking, I'm... I'm an AMP, I've never done anything like that at all. This is crazy. And so instead of just saying, isn't that an interesting phenomenon happening over there and walking on and looking after the sheep, I went to uh, Kurong Bookstore. Anyone heard of that? And I bought How to Know the Will of God, every book I could find on it. (laughs) I, I found big books, thick books, short books, you know, and I bought literally about 10 different books on knowing God's will. And I went away for a whole weekend and I fasted. I was still smoking cigarettes, so I fasted and smoked. They're the two things I did on the weekend. But I spent the weekend down in Rosebud praying and saying, God, would you speak to me? I want to hear. And you know what happened on that weekend? He said nothing. Not even a verse. 
not even a jump out anything from me. I came back and everyone said, how'd it go, family? You know, how'd it go? You're getting a bit full on there, aren't you? I said, yeah, nothing happened. And I thought, well, God, I'll just go back and I'll keep working. And then it was that God started to clearly say things to me. Overwhelmingly, he, uh, people wrote me notes when I spoke, giving a little announcement at church. People gave me feedback saying, what's he calling you to do? Preachers said, is God calling you to Bible college? And looked straight at me. And one little old lady came right at the very end of thing after thing after thing. And she said, Jonathan, I feel God's telling me to tell you to go to Bible college. And I talked to her later on and she'd been with a leprosy mission overseas for many years and she said she's never had that sense of God speaking to her so clearly uh, before or since that time. And he spoke. But I think the fact that I'd said God speak to me and gone out of my way to do that put me in a position where God might want to speak to me. I just want to challenge you today. Some of you have been saying, God, speak to me, speak to me while I'm juggling a hundred things in the thing and I'm going so quick and I'm not spending time trying to hear what you're saying. I just want to challenge you. Put some time aside. Draw aside. Move a little closer to see what God's saying to you. Maybe there is a desire in your heart for missions. Maybe it might be that you want to take up the offer and go and visit the McMasters you know, in, uh, in Poland. Maybe you want to look at a short-term mission trip in Malawi and find out, is, is that where God's calling? Maybe it's, it's starting to research different countries where you have your heart in and saying, God, what are you saying? Maybe for you it might be, you know, thinking about a different course that you might be studying that God's been giving you a desire for. Maybe it's taking another challenge in a different area. But don't just let it pass quickly. There's another coincidence. Say, God, speak to me. What are you doing? I think he wants to speak to you. What I did on that weekend has not been just a one-off thing. Um, in leaving our church from Baronia that I grew up in to Dandenong, I spent a day away with Mandy just praying and and reading through the Bible and asking God to speak to us. As we came here, we spent two full days away just saying, God, would you speak to us? You know, you don't have to spend time. I don't think the whole time is important. But giving uh, some times where you can slow down and say, God, I want to hear from you. My ears are open. I'm ready to hear what you're saying. Do that. Really do what it takes to step aside and go over and check. You know, I think... So the call comes to those who are willing to listen. The call comes quite ordinarily often. And the call, well, God speaks when people listen. See, verse 4 says, When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Look at those first few words. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look. Staggering, isn't it? It's sort of saying when God had seen that Moses had gone over to investigate, when his heart was to say, I want to find out what's going on here, that he responded. I think think God will honour those who spend time seeking his will in their life. 
I remember, as we've, you, you'll remember reading from 1 Samuel, where Samuel is in the middle of the night, hears a voice, and he goes to Eli and he says, you know, did you call me? He says, no, go back to bed. Again, he hears the voice, he goes to Eli, did you call me? The three times he says that. And then Eli says, go back to bed. And when he speaks to you again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And God spoke to one who was listening to God's voice. And the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look. God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Now I want you to notice too that he called him by his name. God knew Moses. He hadn't missed the fact that Moses had been saved from the bulrushes, in, 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 pulled out of the water. He hadn't missed the fact that Moses had grown up in Egypt. He hadn't missed the fact that for the last 40 years he'd been in the desert. He knew him by name and he came to him. And Moses simply says, here I am. It's me, God. I'm Moses, you know, you know me, this is who I am. I think verses 5 sort of show here that when God does speak to us, you and I should really take it seriously. And when he gives us words uh, and, and leads us and shows us what he's wanting from our lives, don't just take it light, lightly and flippantly. Here's what God says to Moses. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And at this moment, at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. God is holy. He deserves your reverence. He deserves you to take his words to you seriously. He deserves you to be attentive. He wants you to be attentive to him. When he comes, when he speaks to you, don't muck around. Take it seriously. Say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Say, here I am, God, I'm going to act on what you tell me. You know, we had uh, Gary and Ewa come around today and they said, uh, and they came in and they took off their shoes, where well, the kids did in your Australian culture, but they took off their shoes as they entered and the sons, the, the, the boys, the boys, uh, sorry, Thomas, he took his off and he put them there and they explained that in Poland taking off your shoes, you know, is a sign of, uh, you know, you always do that when you come in because it's, you know, honour in the house that you go to the owners. It's the same in Japan. If you go into a house in Japan and the guests welcome you and you walk in with your shoes on, that's really rude. You know, it, this is their house and you're moving in, you know, showing honour to them by not just walking through their house with your shoes on. And here, I think what uh, God is saying to, to Moses, you know, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. This is where I'm speaking to you and you need to show honour to me. This is an important moment. I want your undivided attention. I want you to be ready to hear me, holy God. It's kind of interesting too when you take off your shoes like this. 
kind of a bit like informal too, isn't it? You know, like when you're at home and you're on the uh, kind of, you know, on the couch and you take off your shoes and you cuddle up and, or you watch the TV like that, it feels like homey, kind of like I'm relaxed, you know. And I think in, in the presence of a holy God who comes to him and says, Moses, and he says, here I am. I think there's also a sense of God revealing himself as a personal God, a God who wants to speak to Moses and to speak to him in a way that leads him and guides him. Do you know up to this point, um, Exodus, Genesis and Exodus, you know, there's been very little talk of God actually actually revealing himself personally to people. And yet he comes here and he says, you know, Moses. And it says, when the Lord saw uh, that he had gone over to look, Lord, the Yahweh, the, the God, the personal God of the Old Testament, take off your shoes, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. He deserves respect. And then he reveals more of who he is. He says, the God of your, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. All of a sudden he's coming face to face with a God who says, I am the God of these guys who have died long ago. You know, these people that were dead, he's saying, I am the God of these people. I know them. I have a relationship with them. And he hid his face. Why don't you just quickly notice what happens now in the passage and, and look at the text from this point on. He responds. God says, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt in verse 7. I have heard them. I've seen them. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. He's a God who cares. He's a God who comes to leaders and people and comes to Moses because he cares about what's going on with his people. He hates the fact that his people are in slavery. He hates the fact that they're being, uh, you know, uh, really treated harshly and he's concerned about it. And then he says, verse 8, So I have come down to rescue them from the, land, from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good land that's spacious, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, the Jebusites. And now the cry of Israel has reached me and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So here's the cruncher. God who cares... God who really is concerned, God who's seen, has come to the rescue. But the part that Moses wasn't ready for is so, says, so now I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I'm sending you to go to Pharaoh. And you know what he says <laughs> in verse 11, but Moses says to God, but who am I? But who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring out the Israelites out of Egypt? You know, often when God comes and talks to us and he says, I want you to do that, don't we sometimes uh, put on, uh, we, we don't believe that he could use us because we think that we're nothing. And you know what? Nothing could be further from the truth. 
when you realise that you have a healthy understanding of what you're not, then you're ready to be used by God. Often we say, who am I? Um, you know, I, well, God's not calling you to save the people of Israel. He wants to use you, but he's the one that's going to save the people of Israel. If you think it all depends on you, then you're not, you know, that's not the way to respond. He's saying, I want people who will be able to have gone through these kind of desert experiences and realise that it's not all about you. Who am I, he says, that I should go? What makes me so great? You know, many people think, I'm no leader. I'm not great. You know what? We all know that. (laughs) I'm not great either. Uh, And God's not looking for absolutely fabulous, fantastic people to use. He's looking for people that know they're not great, but know that God is. And that can actually say, God, I want to trust you and I'm willing to do it. So God says, I will be with you in verse 12. He says, who am I? Well, it doesn't matter because I'm going to be with you. I'll help you. I will help you through this. I'll be with you. And this is the sign that when you do come out and you bring them out, you'll come back to Sinai and this will be the mountain where you worship on. You know what happened on the mountain at Mount Sinai? The Ten Commandments were given. God, God was to bring Moses right back to the place where he would receive the Ten Commandments and the law would be given and he would fulfil this promise that he's making here. And then... Moses says, suppose I go and they ask me about who sent me and they say, well, what's, this guy's, what's God's name? What shall I tell them? In other words, Moses is saying, well, who are you? You know, if, if who am I is nobody but you're going to be with me, then who are you? So he's asking these questions and God says, Well, I am who I am. This is what you're going to say. I am who I am. I think this is just the most incredible uh, statement. And God reveals himself as I am. He's saying, I am the God who not was (laughs) in the past, I'm not the God who you can describe as the will-be God. I'm the God that am, always am. That's why I can say that I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, because right now, even though they're dead and you think it was a long, long time ago, I am their God right now because everything in the past is in the present to me now. And you know what, Moses? I am, so I know that now as I call you to lead the children out of Israel and as I, out of Egypt, and as I call you to do that and I say I will be with you, I know I will because I'm already there. I am. I'm the God who flung the stars into heaven, into space. I created everything. I was there at the beginning. I'm here now. And I know the future. You can trust in me. And the most staggering thing about this is the God who says, I am, 
was speaking directly to Moses, saying, I am this great God, but I speak to people like you because I want to use you. You might think you're nobody tonight. You might think, wow, Moses, you know, good for Moses. But I think God is saying to you, I know you. I know who you are. I know your fears. I know your excuses. I know your questions. And I know your struggles. (coughs) But I also know who I am, he says. He's saying to you, I am who I am. And you and me together can do every single thing that I'm calling you to do. So if I'm calling you, just say yes. Because I am. And I'll lead you. Oh, Jonathan, but what about this kind of future that I had planned about a nice house and a safe job and a good degree and and I I kind of sense that God's calling me in this direction and that would just be so crazy and I've been trying to pretend that I am. What about you? You've actually called me to take, I feel like you're calling me to take steps out in, in speaking more about my faith. I'm scared about that. And I think, you know, I couldn't do it because I'm too afraid. And God says, well, you know, I've put those desires in your heart and I'm calling you to do that. And I am. It's not because you're great that you can do it. You're not great. But with me, together, we can do something. I'm going to play an instrument for you, be part of the worship team, but I could never do it that way. Maybe God has put in your heart to speak to speak his word, to lead Bible studies. And you thought, I could never do it. And God's saying, I am. And I'll be with you and I'll help you. God's looking for ordinary people like you and me. If I can be the senior pastor of Wodonga Baptist Church, anybody can. I failed BCV. I failed year nine. And yet God just uses me in spite of me, and he can use you in incredible ways because he's created you to be his servant. So what do you say? Want to say yes? Want to do that? Why don't you say yes to him tonight? And maybe in these few moments of reflection, you might just want to say, God, I think this is my burning bush. Don't know what's ahead. Never thought I could take on Pharaoh, but I know with you I can. Let's pray, shall we? Oh God, we're just so thankful that you want to use ordinary people like us. God, sometimes we really 
feels so much like your word says you're the potter, we're the clay. And sometimes we just feel like a lump of clay. But we want to say tonight, God, if you're calling us, then in your hands, we know we can trust you to lead us to where you're calling us. We just want to say yes tonight. God, not because we're great, not because we've got all the gifts, not because we've had the right experiences or the right past, but because you're calling us, we'll say yes. God, I just want to pray that tonight you will continue to lay on people's hearts exactly what you're calling them to. Make it clear. Give them the courage to respond. Maybe right in these moments in the quietness, you might just want to say to God, I'm ready. Yes, God. God, thank you for speaking. And we just want to continue to follow you obediently, holding your hand for all that you're leading us to. In Jesus' name, amen.